All right, so we're going to study the word. We're going to uh, open up to Exodus 25. Then we're going to have an, a little extended time at the end of music, um, a couple uh, songs. Uh, but more importantly, uh, we have uh, communion. And we're actually going to be talking a lot about communion today. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Everything we're talking about today with communion is something you are going to actively participate in and, uh, and take part in. Uh, as soon as as we wrap it up. And I'm really liking this time at the end of our sermons uh, where we're we're not just rushing out and just, amen, that was great, let's go watch football. But um, it's it, it, we want to, to spend some time and really talk to the Lord. And if you've got anything going on in your life, let, just come up and pray. Nathan is always going to be available. I'm going to be available. You know, you can, you can pick any, anyone to pray with, uh, but we're going to have, like, me up here or Nathan up here or in the back or wherever just find someone ugly and you'll you'll have someone to pray with so just kidding <laughs> you are all beautiful that's right <laughs> so um yeah at the end we'll pray um do you guys ever just not feel it do you ever just feel like it's, uh, it's a long day, like you don't want to do anything today. Or, or you feel like going to church is maybe just, ah, uh, like there's, it's hot and it's, it's whatever, like just long and I'd rather do nothing. That's okay. It is totally okay to feel that. Because when we come to church, God isn't asking anything from you. God wants to serve you. He wants to come right before you right now, and he wants to serve you. He wants you to sit down, relax, and let his word just be the food of your soul. Okay? So I just wanted to say that right at the beginning, because a lot of times we don't feel excited. And, and, and coming. If we, if we build a church where we have to get excited every single week, what happens on the day where we're not excited? We feel like God is not as pleased with us. Or we feel like we're somehow not as accepted to God. And so what we want to do is we want to instead train our souls to live off the word of God and his faithfulness instead of off emotional highs and, and come to Jesus moments. We want to live off of his word. Does that make sense, guys? All right, so let's pray and, and feed on his word this morning. Father, we, we thank you so much for your word, and we ask that your spirit would do all the work necessary in our hearts to train us to trust in you, to, to uh, walk in the spirit. Thank you for everything you have promised and given to us. Uh, Lord, we come in, in humility and brokenness. We are sinners, and we're uh, just self-centered, and, and we have so much uh, that we need you to transform in our lives. But we thank you, God, that you forgive us, and we want to just live always repenting of anything we do that is not according to your will and according to your word. So we pray that you would use your word right now to teach us, train us, and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God always makes provision for his people. We, we keep saying it over and over again 
as we see the stories of God in the Old Testament, as we, as we read the doctrine in the New Testament, we see his power and his deliverance in the lives of his people. Provision, power, and deliverance. And as we've been studying the tabernacle, as we're going through Exodus, and we're in Exodus 25 today, we see the exact same things taught to us over and over again. It's the same provision that God makes for his people always continually given to us. And this, the tabernacle and the different pieces of furniture, they're all teaching us the same lessons that God makes provision for his people. Why do you think God keeps reminding us of his willingness to provide for his people? Anyone got any ideas? He loves us, okay. Because we forget very easy. I love that one. All right? Jesus points for you. <laughs> we forget so very easy that God promises to provide for all of our needs. And I bring that up even with our emotional state. Like even if we're not excited about the day or we're not we're feeling it. Like there's got to be something wrong, right? No, God has promised to make provision for that. You don't have to bring him feelings to be accepted to him. All you need is to come in faith before him. He makes the provision. Moses has gone up to the mountain uh, right now, and the mountain is on fire, and the mountain is called Mount Sinai. And you can, you can look it up on a Google Maps. It's called Jebel al-Laz today. Uh, and you can still see it's all charred black on the top. People have gone up there and taken rocks and broken them, and they're brown on the inside, light brown, but, but charred and melted all black on the outside. This literally happened, what we're talking about here. And Moses, he's up in this fire, and God is giving him this instruction on how to build this tabernacle for his people. And this was to help his people know God. God wanted to have a personal relationship with them. But this tabernacle also is going to serve us today in Denver, and it's going to teach us how to know God better as well. Each and every part is going to become a perfect image in your mind as you, as you walk through the tabernacle in your mind, maybe you pray through it, of what God is like, what God does for you, and what God thinks and feels about you. That's what these things in the tabernacle are going to do for us. We are truly the most blessed people in all the world to have a God who cares so perfectly for us that he would give such a wonderful thing like this tabernacle to us. And today we're going to focus on one piece of furniture called the table in the holy place. So when God is giving the instructions, he started with the most holy place. It was the, the, the most inner chamber of this tent. And that was where, anyone remember what was in it? Pop quiz, hot shot. What was in the most holy place? The Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, right? The box and the lid to the box. And that's where the glory of God would sit. He would dwell there. And he had said he would commune and talk with his people from there. The Ark and, the, and there, was the, there was the perfect image of the person of who? Who did the Ark picture? Jesus, right? Everything about it. It was made of both gold and wood, meaning he was God and man. It was filled with the, the Ten Commandments, the law, like written on Jesus' heart. He obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly. It had a, 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 
a rod that had budded, Aaron's rod, we studied that, how he was filled with uh, resurrection. Supernatural resurrection was in there, and the manna showing about God's grace was in there. And then it was covered with the, the mercy seat, which is where the blood was presented before God, and we can all come and have a restful experience with God because of the blood of Jesus. It's not, it's not the place where the blood was slain and, and where the lamb was slain and the blood was spilt. It's the place where it was presented and peace before God. So that's what, where we've been. Now we're stepping out of the most holy place where the priest would only go one time a year, that place that talks about perfect intimacy with Jesus. And we're stepping out to the holy place, not the most holy place, the holy place. Still pretty holy. Um, Still pretty awesome. But this is a place where the priest would go every day. The priest would only go one time a year into the most holy place because that's all the intimacy that, they, that God could, could, that they could handle at that point in time, one day a year. But in the, in the holy place, God made provision for the priest to come every day. And it, this is going to teach us how our daily communion with God is supposed to look, what it's supposed to look like. And so the first thing that we see is a table when we get into this. So let's go ahead and read our text. Exodus chapter 25, verse uh, 23 through 30. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, and a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. So we have... The two materials, again, of gold and wood. So who do you think this table is picturing? Jesus again, right? The only God-man, the only one who is perfectly God and perfectly man. Does anyone, for a hundred Jesus points, remember what this is called in theology? It's a big, fancy word. Huh? Nope, nope. Huh? Propitiation, no. The hypostatic union? Who said that? Matt, well done, Matt. You get, you get 100 Jesus points added to your accounts. Well done. Did you cheat? Are you reading the notes? You cheater. I know you <laughs> Okay, so he went to Bible school. He says that. That's it. Okay. But he does read the notes, I know. Okay. The hypostatic union. Hypostatic means he's all God and all man. Okay? Now it says here it was a cubit and a half high, right? Two cubits long and a cubit and a half. So we look, we have a table right here. And, and this, is where our, this is our table. So we have this illustration. And guess what? It's two cubits long and a cubit and a half. They're new world cubits, but I don't know what a cubit is. But that is it right there. I'm just kidding. I, it, but it looks like it would be about that size, right? Okay, there's our table. Of course it is. All right, going on, verse 25. And you, sh- you shall make a frame. So this is like a-, a border that goes on the top of the table. They would have like a little thing that holds stuff in. A- and of a handbreadth all around. So a handbreadth was-, was a hand like this wide, okay? And it would be kind of a... F- a th- a border around it that would keep stuff in. Now, we're, remember this because this is the only time cubit is not used as a measurement, hand is used as a measurement. And that's important for something later, but remember that. 
These details are all given by the Holy Spirit. It's very important. So, a handbreadth all around. And you shall make it a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four gold rings and put the rings on the four corners that are on its four legs. And the rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them. And you shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. And you shall make them a pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. So on this table, you got all the, the hooks and everything, and you got all the stuff to, to take care of the bread. On the table would be this thing called showbread. So the priests would bake 12 loaves of bread with fine flour, and they would place them in two rows of six on this table. And they would mix frankincense, the oil, in the bread, and they would smear it on it and mix it in. Um, and then they would eat the bread themselves, the priests would, at the end of the week. Okay? So the priests would use this table every single day. They would come in and they would smell the bread and they would have fresh bread that they would be uh, putting in there and they would smell. You, you guys ever walk into a bakery and it's just like carbs, you know, <laughs> just so I love the smell of freshly baked bread. And I guess God does, too. <laughs> and OK, so so they would they would use this table every day. And it was part of their responsibility to represent God to the people and the people to God. These priests were kind of the go-between that would represent God. And, and, and so the bread, was the 12, there was 12 loaves, which represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they would go in and they would smell it and they would say, look, we're, we're before you, God. Okay? So, and, and this was an okay system. But we learn in the book of Jeremiah that God wasn't very excited about this system. He, had to, he didn't really like it because they had to have this priest go between God and the people. And God actually wanted uh, to have conversations with all the people himself. He loved the people very much. And he, he, the, the priest system was okay, but God's solution for this is he wanted to make a better system. But the, the system he made wasn't to get rid of the priests. That's not the solution. The system he made was to make everyone priests. Isn't that cool? So if you look in the book of Peter, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9, I'll read these verses to you. This is to you guys. These are, this is in the New Testament. It's written to Christians, and he says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Who were the priests in the Old Testament? Levites, right? Sons of Aaron and Levites. You had to be born a certain group of people. Only one of the 12 tribes were able to go and, and, and use this table that we're talking about. But now it says we are all ho a holy priesthood able to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the ministry of a priest. We are able to do this through Jesus Christ. Then it says in verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is going to help us understand the meaning of the table when we understand that we are supposed to come to this table every day. The priests had a responsibility to come to the table every day, to smell the bread, to service that bread, to, to, to eat it sometimes. And we have that same mission to come to this table every day. So the first word that's, that we're going to zero in, in on our text that to help us understand this uh, table is the word also. Okay? When we see at the very beginning of our text there in, in uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse 23, you shall also make a table. That word also is very important because, you know, it's actually only used one other time in this entire book of Exodus. And it, it gives us a connection with this table to what we learned about last week, which was the mercy seat. God says there's a very specific connection between the mercy seat and the table. What did God say that the point of the mercy seat was? If we look back just a couple of verses, he said that I can meet with my people and commune with them. That's that was his desire. The mercy seat was an important place where that would happen. And the table is directly connected to that. So we know that this table is going to be about communion, communing with God. Okay? So what is the definition of communion? I like definitions. And it, I looked it up and it says, just from Google, the sharing, or because we, we trust Google, right, explicitly. The sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. Exchanging relationship idea, okay? Thoughts and feelings are exchanged through the mercy seat, but at this table. It's pretty cool. So, Let's turn to the next story in the Bible that talks about a table. And that's going to be in 2 Samuel. And maybe we'll see a connection here that is going to help us understand God's heart about the table. So in 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, I'm going to read you the story about David. And this is right after David has become king. It's been a long time coming for David. And uh, who, who was the king before David? Anyone know? Saul. Right, And Saul was not a great guy, but Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan was David's best friend, right? David's best friend. David loved Jonathan. And and Jonathan was killed in the line of duty. And and, uh, David's heart was really moved by that. So let's see what happens here. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul, who was his enemy, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake, the sake of the son. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. <laughs> and the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul who, to whom I may show kindness, the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. <laughs> so the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Micker, the son of Amiel in Lodebar. When the king sent 
and brought him out of the house of Micher, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now, when Mephibosheth, that's this guy's name, which is an awesome name if you're pregnant or you're thinking of having a kid, and you're like, what name would be unique? Mephibosheth. So when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then uh, David said, Mephibosheth? And he said, here's your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely, or I will show you the kindness, you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and he said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table. In other words, he's not working. It's not about works. This is my kindness being poured out to him. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so your servant will do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Did you see what was stressed in that story? Continual. He ate continually at the table. (laughs) Got no exercise. (laughs) Probably got a little chunky, but that's okay. Because <laughs> God was teaching us here, this is a perfect picture of the grace of God. It is not earned. This king, David, is showing kindness to the son of his enemy for the sake of a beloved son. Uh, this David, he brought Mephibosheth into a place of continual intimate fellowship. In that culture, eating a meal together was extremely important. It meant I accept you, I like you, and I want to know you. And the same food that's going into my mouth and nourishing me is the same food that's going into your mouth and nourishing you. And and Mephibosheth had this attitude. What is Mephibosheth's attitude? What word would you use to describe it? Humble, right? He calls himself a dead dog. Right? He knows he can't do anything because he's got lame feet. He, he knows that he's got nothing to offer. And he's like, why are you being so nice to me? He had nothing to bring David. But David's heart was just exploding with love because of Jonathan. Because of someone else. So David wanted to show kindness to his enemies. Mephibosheth just became the object of David's love. What a lucky guy. And we are in the same situation as Mephibosheth. We were sold under sin. When Adam sinned, we became the sons of the enemy of God. 
someone who rebelled against God. And, and we have been shown this kindness of being invited into a table to meet with God and commune with God that never ends. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians when Paul is going to teach us a bit about this table. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 20 and 21. Paul says, Rather the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. So this table is about communion or a real, genuine relationship where two people agree. Agreement is a big deal. You can't have communion with Jesus and disagree with him. That's a break in communion. There must be perfect agreement. Is it hard to agree with someone? Sometimes, right? What if they're God and they're right about everything? Well, you're going to lose every argument, right? So you might as well agree, but that requires something that we don't like, which is humility, I'm a dead dog, and faith, man, I'm going to trust you. In other words, it takes humility. I don't know everything and faith, but I think you probably do. I don't know everything, but I think you do. I need to agree with you, Jesus. Why does Jesus say this? People argue. And we can say, I don't know, but he's probably right. Because I'm probably wrong. And if there's ever a conflict between me and him, who's at fault? I am. Right. A table is where this is worked out. We're invited to his table. He says, come and agree with me. Because I love you. Usually we can't even agree on that God loves me? I don't know. Right? We usually don't even agree on that. In Psalm, so a table is this place where we, we sit down together and we have a meal. But it's also a place where food is set before us. Okay? Jesus is our table, as we've seen. But Jesus is also the food. This is amazing. In Psalm 23, you guys know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Of course. Nathan's like, of course I do. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Jesus is the one who has been prepared for us as our food. Jesus is the one who was cooked. If he's the bread, he was cooked in the fires of God's wrath for us. God punished him for us. He went through the fire so that we don't have to. And then he is served to us at this table by Jesus, on Jesus. It is Jesus. He's kind of the point of this, right? It's cool. In John chapter 6, Jesus says to his disciples, verse 32, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world gives life to the world. 
We were dead. Without this bread, Jesus says, we are dead. Do you ever feel dead spiritually? Jesus says there's one solution, and it's not working harder, and it's not doing more, and it's not finding a different church. It is always me. I am the solution. My bread, my, I give life to the world. I'm not here to suck your life away and make your life boring and you only have to listen to Caleb all the time. Which I love Caleb, but you don't have to. He's here to pour life into us. You pour, he's here to give us provision for what we need. His life is our bread, and nothing can ever satisfy us like the very life of Jesus consumed every day. You come to church and you're supposed to hear about Jesus, right? So you're hearing a lot about Jesus. He is all that we need. But this bread is in 12 loaves, in two rows. What is that all about? Why? Why was this bread on the table? If we go to 1 Corinthians 10, um, verse 21, it's called the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, the same thing is called the Lord's supper. We get these two things going on, the table and the supper. The table speaks of Jesus being the solid and consistent place where communion with God happens. But the bread speaks of Jesus being the always fresh substance of our fellowship with God, actually coming into us, actually consuming it. In other words, Jesus says, you're solid, we're good, but this should never be boring. Sometimes when life is too easy and it's too like, predictable, life gets boring. And with Jesus, it's just not like that. It is solid and immovable, but it's also extremely exciting and fresh and that's the way our life is supposed to look um this bread was called and remember what the bread was called showbread and uh in hebrew that doesn't it doesn't say showbread (laughs) it says bread of faces i was like what (laughs) why is it called bread of faces uh but as you think about it when you're eating this bread it, you, and you're, you're sitting down at a table, it's called the bread of faces because God wanted to be face-to-face with people. That's his intention of having this bread. It speaks of the conversations and the communion that we have with God through the, word, through the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, there's a verse that says, It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. God is very concerned about having a face-to-face relationship with you. That's a very important thing to him. The other thing we learn about this bread, we're learning about the bread right now, is that it was called uh, it's called cakes later. It's not just called bread. It's called bread cakes. And the Hebrew word for that is perforated, which means pierced. The bread was called pierced bread. What do you think that's 
<laughs> I love this. I don't even have to hardly preach. Because like you just, oh, he was the bread pierced for us, right? We consume his sacrifice. We remember his, his body broken every day. And then these breads, these cakes were called cooked or baked, which is, again, the fires of God's wrath that he went through to prepare for us a meal that we needed, the provision that we needed. So why is there 12 of them? Well, because there were 12 tribes of Israel, okay? And, but there's more to this. The, some of the tribes were big, like Judah, and some of the tribes were really small, okay? And, 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 but, this, but all the cakes were the same size and shows that God was identifying with his people. He made a provision that exactly matched what his people needed. In 1 Corinthians 10, again, we're kind of hanging out there, verse 16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is, uh, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, we're many more than 12 groups now, because we have all the Gentiles and all the people of the world, are one bread and one body. We become the bread. When we eat the bread, for we all partake of that one bread, he says. The reason why there's 12 breads is because God knows there's different groups of people, but they're all equal in his sight. And he says it doesn't really matter because as soon as you eat them, you all become one in Christ. This is amazing. God identifies with every single one of his children, even the ones that seem to fail all the time. Even the ones who have a different kind of church and a different kind of way they do things, they're all special and valuable to him. Uh, the smallest was the same as the greatest, and they were all the same. The first is the same as the last. So God's provision extends to every single believer. We get what we need with him, and that's amazing. This is how grace works. If you need something, he provides it. How? Through Jesus. But what if I need something really big? He provides it. But what if I'm doing okay and I just, I just need him? I don't even know what I need. <gasps> well, then God's not going to give you what you don't know. God will just give you what you need even if you don't know what you need. He never said you have to be smart to follow him. Amen. I love that. This bread was eaten by the priests. This is the communion being made real. This is their relationship with God saying, okay, I'm all in. I'm going to eat this. But the only place they could eat this bread was in the holy place, this place of agreeing with God, the place where um, you have believed all that God has done for you, you may eat all that you need at the table if you believe, if you agree with God. You come in with humility and say, I need you, God. But what if I fail? Will this bread fall off the table if things get rocky in my life or in my relationship with God? Well, what's amazing to me is that God makes provision for the rockiness in our lives. Let's read that again, verse 25. Uh, you shall make a frame a handbreadth around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. 
and, and then a little later, the rings shall close, be close to the frame, and, and you're going to carry the table, and it's overlaid with goals. This section here describes the security of our fellowship. Some people call this eternal security. Like It's the question we have when we say, wait a minute, can I lose my salvation? Can I, uh, what's going on? Like, am I, uh, I'm having a really bad week and I've fallen into all kinds of sins. Should I be worried about where I'm at with the Lord? And what we have here is both encouragement and, and calm down, bro, but also don't jump off the table. Okay, both encouragement and warning. In, uh, it's called a handbreadth. Remember I said this was called a handbreadth? I think it's for a reason. Because in John 10, Jesus said, I will give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. What is our security when it comes to eternal life? Where is our security? It's in Jesus and in his hand. In Christ we are always secure in Christ. So how do I get in Christ? Anybody know? Believe. If you believe, you're in Christ. If you believe who he is, that he is God, and that he has, he has uh, made provision for you, you are saved. You are in Christ. That is the, a relationship where you are humbly dependent upon God. So believing is how we're in Christ. And he says, if you're in Christ, no one can snatch you out of my hand. You're safe. When we're in Christ by faith alone. So the only way for us to not be safe is if we do not continue to believe. Does that make sense? And I'm going, to, I'm going to show that with two verses, right? If you choose to place your hope in something besides Jesus Christ himself, in other words, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Well, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I used to think it was by Jesus alone, but now I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm awesome enough to just walk right into heaven. Because I've been going to the same church for 20 years, and I have done, I have tithed, I have, I have what helped old ladies across the street. I mean, I am just amazing. Should that person feel secure? No. But I prayed a prayer. I don't care. In Christ means a real, present faith in Christ. I used to be a Christian, but now, you know, I saved the prayer and I was baptized, so I'm, I'm definitely a Christian. But my everyday life has nothing to do with Christ. I don't, Look to him. I don't call upon him. He is like my weird, creepy uncle that I never talk to. That person should not feel secure. But they prayed a prayer. I'm, I don't know what to tell you. What can I say? You should not be, feel safe. You should be worried. In uh, Romans 11.22, it says, Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness, if, you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you shall be cut off. Does that mean I can lose my salvation if I, if I do the wrong thing? No. 
This didn't say anything about works. This said, continue in his goodness. How did you get in that goodness? Believe. If you don't continue in that goodness, God says, you have jumped off the table. You were in my hand. My hand was holding you in. And I know I saw you do the stupid thing that you, th- you were bumping up against my table, but I was holding you in. But now you are saying, I'm jumping out. I am not going to trust in the Lord. That's the only way, he says here, if you continue. Now another verse, Colossians 1, 23. One, blah, blah, that was really fast. Colossians 1, 23. I was very excited about this verse. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which I preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. See the if? There is a condition. Our security in God is absolutely sure, but there's a condition. And the condition is always faith. Will you trust him? What do you trust to get to heaven? Jesus alone is what you all just answered, right? I heard it in your... Jesus alone, Jesus alone. I heard it. I saw it. Speech bubbles everywhere. But what do you trust to meet your daily needs in this life? What bread are you eating? What is the source of your daily life experience? Jesus alone. That should have been what I heard. And I did. I saw all of you say that, so you're good. What if I recognize, though, that today I have not been trusting in Jesus alone? I, what am I supposed to do? Well, we have a 10-step program that if you come afterwards, I'm going to make you go. No. Please leave our church if we ever tell you that. It's simply repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I need to agree with God that you are my bread. You are the table. You're the whole deal. And I'm going to enter that by faith. And for all of us who do trust in the Lord today, today we're, we're called to remember his provision for us, his table, that Jesus, it, he is the table and he is the bread, and we become one with him in true communion. We become part of his body, his family, but not only that, his body. We become one with his body. His love for us is unfathomable because we are his body and his bride. So amazing. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of his, um, his unfathomable love for us. We come to Jesus in faith and in humility and we thank him that he's the bread of life. Amen? All right. Uh, go ahead and come up and we're going we're gonna to sing a song. But as we are preparing our hearts for this time where we're going to thank the Lord that he is our bread and that his blood also was spilled for us, I'm going to read John chapter 6. Uh, verse 35, and then verse 48 through 51. Just to, just to read, uh, give us a, a springboard to jump into fellowship with God. So would you guys all stand with me as I read uh, this word from the Lord? Because I think this word is so relevant and powerful, and, and we just need to, to hear it with humility and stand before the word of God and say, uh, hear it. And it says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, 
and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Have you been hungering? Has there been a hunger inside? I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and are dead. This bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. We're going to sing these couple songs. You have uh, freedom to come up whenever you're ready and take uh, a piece of bread, consume it in faith and humility, in believing and trusting in the Lord and the, and the cup. Father, we want to thank you for your mercy and your grace. We want to thank you that you're the table that we meet with God and we, um, we can bring all our fears, we can bring all of our sinfulness and we just get washed by you at the table. And we consume you, Jesus, and we, we fill ourselves with your very life that was given for us. Uh, we have no life in and of ourselves. We are just people. But Father, your gift to us is your uh, wonderful life. You were the happiest man ever to live. You were, the, you were so full of confidence. You were so full of value and meaning. You knew who you were, but yet you surrendered every moment of your life to your Father. And Lord, we want that kind of life. We need that kind of life because our life, when we're doing our own thing, is empty. And Jesus, you are so gracious and loving to pour into us value and meaning. We receive your life today. Amen.